This morning, I want to preach on a doctrine that's in the Bible. A lot of times when a preacher says that, people say, oh, this is going to be boring. Because sometimes doctrines, you know, you get, they're sometimes deep and you have to really get at it and study it. Uh, but uh, I, I hope to make this doctrine alive this morning. I, I want to speak on the doctrine identification. Doctrine that's in the Bible of identification. Many of you this morning wear a gold band on your left hand because you want to be identified as being married. You want to be identified belonging to your spouse. I have my American flag on my lapel this morning because I want to be identified as somebody who loves their country. Somebody who's proud to be called an American. Our sign, we don't have one on this side. We took it down for the new building. We'll put it back up in a little while. But our sign on this side of the building says Fellowship Baptist Church. It doesn't just say Fellowship Church. It says Fellowship Baptist Church because we want to be identified as a Baptist church and, and, and identified with the Baptist doctrines that we believe in that set us apart from other churches. And so, again, all, all three things by, uh, by way of introduction to say that all of us identify with different groups, all of us identify with different causes, and we oftentimes wear something to display that identification. Well, this morning, again, I want to speak on the doctrine of identification, and I want to give you five ways that it shows up in the Bible and this is, this is not boring. This is not tedious. All this is exciting stuff. The doctrines of the Bible can be exciting because the doctrines show us how much God loves us and what God did for us when he sent Christ to die for us. By the way, aren't you glad that we have singers in this church that can't hide their emotions? Aren't you glad that if they feel like crying, they just go ahead and cry? That's the way it should be. Man, if you don't feel it, there's something wrong with your feeler and you need to talk to God about healing your feeler because when we come to this place, you know, people get excited at ball games. They get excited at concerts. What's the matter about getting, what's wrong with getting excited about the things of God? What's wrong with getting excited talking about how much God loves us and what Jesus did for us on Calvary? We as Christians ought to live excited in those truths. So, the doctrine of identification. Number one, Jesus identified himself with us in his life. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15, the Bible says, Jesus was in all points tempted like as we. We know from reading the gospel that Jesus came and was born as a, as a baby. He came to earth in the form of a baby. He was virgin born. He made his entrance into this world as a little baby. God could have just as easily sent Jesus to the world as an adult. He could have easily come into this world fully grown, ready to start his earthly ministry, ready to go to the cross and die on Calvary in our place. But that was not God's plan. Because you see, God wanted Jesus to identify with us in all areas of our life. And so he was a baby. He was a toddler. He was a, a little child. He was a teenager. He was a young adult. He didn't live to be an old adult, but I think he experienced in his 33-some th- years everything that every one of us have experienced. 
That's what that verse means when it says, in all points like as we, he was tested, he was tempted. Everything that we face in our life, regardless of how old we are, we have a Savior who has faced the same thing. We have a Savior who knows when we go to him in prayer with a burden, with a heartache, we have a Savior who knows how we feel because he has experienced the same thing. I'm so glad that we have a Savior like that. I'm glad we don't have a Savior that just sets up in heaven and has never experienced what we've experienced, never knows how we feel. I'm glad that, and I, I rejoice, I'm excited that we have a Savior that identified with us in every area of our life. Number two, we have a Savior that identified with us in his death. I am a sinner. You are a sinner. He was not. Again, tempted in all points like as we, yet without sin. He became sin for us. When he went to Calvary's cross, he did not bear any, any, any punishment for the sin that he committed. He bore punishment for the sin that I committed and for the sin that you committed. If I had some blank paper, Brother Clyde, I'll use the back of your, your songs up here. Let's say, I, I won't mess this up, I promise. Uh, let, let's say we drew a line down this paper. And on one side, we wrote the name Jesus Christ. And on the other side, we wrote our name. And we listed on this side, underneath Jesus, all the qualities that we know about our Savior. He was perfect. He was loving. He was caring. He was compassionate. Everything that he did was right. Every thought that he had was pure. Everything that he did was pleasing to God the Father. And we could go on. I mean, we could fill up many, many sheets of paper about the things that we know about our Savior that are all good. There's not one negative thing that would show up on this side of the sheet listed under the name of Jesus Christ. On the other side of the sheet... Let's list some things about ourselves. If we ever took anything that didn't belong to us, we'd write the word thief. If we ever didn't completely tell the truth, we'd write on this side liar. If we ever got mad and lost our temper, we'd write on this part of the sheet hot-headed. And I could go on, but for sake of time, I won't. You get the idea. You get the drift. We could fill up this side of the sheet with just as many sins as we could good qualities on this side of the sheet for Jesus Christ. And by the way, you might think, well, preacher, when you start listening to all these things, you're not talking about me. I will remind you, the Bible says that we're all sinners. There's none righteous, no, not one. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And I will remind you, the Bible says, if we offend the law in one point, we're guilty of all. And so I may not have stole anything. I may not not have killed anybody. But if I have told a lie or if I have disobeyed mom and dad, the Bible says I stand before God guilty of breaking every one of his commands. In God's sight, all my righteousnesses, all the good things that I can point to in my life are as filthy rags. And so you may not immediately say, well, yeah, you got me on this side of the sheet. Think about it. You're on this side of the sheet. And every one of our sins, God has listed under our name. You know what happens when we get saved? 
You know what happens because Christ identified with us in his death? You know what happens because he went to Calvary and paid the price for my sin? Here's what happens. God takes all the things on this side of the sheet. All of my sins. All of my transgressions. All of my shortcomings. And puts them on this side of the sheet. When I asked Jesus to be my Savior, when he identified with me in his death, what he did was took every one of my sins and put them on himself and prayed the price to Almighty God for all of my sins. If that don't make you shout, you need to work on your shouter. Every one of them. My sin, not in part, but in whole are nailed to the cross, and I bear them no more. Hallelujah. Glory to God. But you know what? He's not done. He does something else. He takes all the things that are on this side of the sheet, all the characteristics, the good characteristics of my Savior, of your Savior, and you know what he does with those things? He puts them on this side of the sheet. We are dressed before God in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And all the things we listed on this side of the sheet, His compassion, His love, His caring. When God the Father looks at us because Jesus Christ identified with us in His death, He doesn't see our sins. They're no longer on our record. That. What he sees is the righteousness of his dear son. And we stand before God justified. Just as if we've never sinned. Dressed in the righteousness of our Savior. Identified himself with us in his death. Number three. We identified with him in his death. Now this word gets a little bit deep. But pay attention. This is just as exciting as the first two points. God in his foreknowledge knew that I was going to exist. That I was going to be born. In his foreknowledge, he knew the family that I was going to be born into. He knew how I was going to be reared. He knew the church that I would go to when I was a kid. In his foreknowledge, he knew before I was even born about that night where I would kneel beside my pastor in his study. And I would tell Jesus that I knew that I was a sinner and there was a penalty for sin. But I was trusting him to pay for my sin. God, in his foreknowledge, saw me kneel, pray that prayer, saw me ask Jesus to be my Savior. And at that moment, I identified with Christ in his death. At that moment, I, in a sense, with with Jesus Christ on the cross... I was crucified with him. In Galatians chapter 2 verse 20, the apostle Paul writes, I am crucified with Christ. When I choose Jesus as my savior, I identify with him in his death. When I identify with him in his death, God says, you were there. You were crucified. You laid in the grave. You came up out of the grave after three days and three nights. God, in his foreknowledge, saw my sins on the cross in the person, on the person of his dear son. Hallelujah. Man, I could get excited. I won't, but I could. 
Number four, Jesus identifies himself with us in his priesthood. Now, if I haven't got you excited yet, if I don't on this point, there's something wrong with you. He identifies with us in his priesthood. We read it in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 11. That last phrase, the last part of the verse where it says, For which cause? He is not ashamed to call them brethren. Up in heaven this morning, Jesus sitting there with the angels. He's sitting there with all the saints who have died and gone to heaven. They're in the grandstand of heaven. Jesus pulls back the clouds so that everybody can see. He points down to me. And he points down to you. And here's what he says. There's my brother. There's my brother. He's mine. He's mine. Because he asked one day, that person that he's pointing to asked one day for me to be their savior. And in the courts of heaven, that's holy, perfect, righteous son of God looks down at us and says, that one belongs to me. He's my brother. I'm sure there might be angels that might say, but master, they're sinners. Even though they've been saved, they still commit sin. They still do things they shouldn't do. They still don't do things they should do. And Jesus said, he's mine. He's mine. I I, 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 I am not ashamed to call him my brethren. That's what Jesus says about you. That's what he says about me. He is not ashamed of us. He'll tell the courts of heaven. He'll tell God the Father, he's my brother. He's not ashamed to call us brethren. Again, you don't get that any other way but by coming to Jesus Christ. You don't get that uh, by being good enough. You don't get that by, 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 by joining the church. You don't get that by taking the Lord's Supper. You don't get that by any other sacrament that people might point and say, this is what you got to do. You get that only by coming to Jesus Christ and receiving Him as your Savior. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. He's not ashamed to call us brethren. He stands at the right hand of God or sets at the right hand of God in heaven as our high priest, as our advocate. You know the story as you read the Bible. You know what happens in heaven. The great accuser is also there. Satan is there. Satan sees me sin. He says to God the Father, did you see that? Did you see what Manning did a moment ago? Did you see when that person passed him on the highway and he was speeding and he knew he was speeding, but then he said to that person on the highway, where's the police when you need them? And he wanted that person to get caught. It's a sin to speed. I'll preach to myself. It's a sin to speed. It's also a sin to wish the judgment of speeding on other people. And Satan says, you see that God? He wasn't very compassionate. He wasn't very loving. In his heart, he wanted that other person to get pulled over and fined to the highest amount that they could be fined. Aren't you going to put that on his account? Aren't you going to put that on his record? And here's a wonderful thing about our high priest. Our high priest, when he paid for our sins, 
paid for all of them. He paid for the sins we committed before we got saved. And by the way, when he died on Calvary, he paid for the sins we commit after we got saved. And what does the psalmist say? Blessed is the man to whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity. What the psalmist is saying when Satan points out to God the Father my sin and Satan says to God the Father, you need to write it down on his record. You need to put it on the, on the books of heaven. He needs to be held accountable for that sin. Here's what God the Father says. Won't do it. I will not impute sin to him because all of his sins have been paid for by the blood of my dear son. They're under the blood. When God looks, he doesn't see him. He sees the precious blood of Jesus Christ. He sees the price that was paid on Calvary. And blessed is the man to whom God will not impute iniquity. He identifies with us in his priesthood. And then, and by the way, let me hasten to say, that does not give us a license to sin. Paul asked the question in Romans chapter 6, Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid! Why would we trample on the grace of God? Why would we continue to sin and live a life that's displeasing to God just because we have His grace? That's not what a Christian is all about. Being a Christian is all about. Being a Christian is about living for God. Being a Christian is about living a righteous life, pleasing to the Father. So... He identified with us in his life. He identified with us in his death. We identified with him in his death. He identifies with us in his priesthood. Number five, we need to identify with him before others. He's in heaven. He's not ashamed to call us brethren. We need to stand up And say the same thing. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I am not ashamed of my Savior. I will tell the world that I am a Christian. I don't care who knows. I want the world to know that I belong to Jesus Christ. That's what baptism is all about. Baptism doesn't do anything to add to our salvation. If you go into the baptistry saved, you're just as saved after you come out as you were before you went in. If you go into the baptistry unsaved, you're just as unsaved when you get baptized as you were before you went into the baptistry. Baptism does nothing to add to your salvation. Baptism is a way that we identify with Jesus Christ before others. It's a way that we tell others, I've asked Jesus to be my Savior. I'm I'm buried with him in death. I am resurrected with him to a new life in Christ And we identify with him. Isn't it a shame that we have a Savior in heaven who is not ashamed to call us brethren? And yet so many of us are ashamed to testify and tell others that he is our Savior. Ought not to be. Ought not to be. I'll tell the world that I'm a Christian. I don't care who's in the crowd. I don't care what the world thinks about it. I am not ashamed of my Savior because he's not ashamed of me.
I want to identify with him. I want to tell the world he's mine. I'll do that by carrying this book and reading this book and studying this book and memorizing this book. I'm not ashamed of the Savior. I'll tell the world that I belong to him by believing and practicing a prayer life that believes that God hears and answers prayer and that God intervenes in the affairs of men in answer to prayer. I'll identify with him by fellowshipping with God's people in a service like this. Not assembling, the forsaking of our, assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is. But gathering together and exhorting one another and so much the do- more as we see the day approaching the return of our Lord. This is a day, my friend, this is a day when God needs his children to stand up for him. This is a day. I, I, I had to rebuke my mother this morning. I call her every morning about 8.30. If you call me at 8.30 and my phone's busy, just know I'm talking to my mom. She was telling me she got a phone call yesterday. Somebody was asking her about what she believed about abortion. I said, what'd you tell them? You told them you were against it, didn't you? She said, well, I said, what'd you tell them? She said, well, they gave me three choices, and I really couldn't understand the choices. And they finally said, well, are you in the middle? And she said, I told them I was in the middle just to get rid of them. I said, no, 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 no. You're not in the middle. You believe abortion? I said, you should have told them that you believe abortion is murder, that every doctor that does it is a murderer and deserves to go to jail, and that one that they kill is a life in God's sight, just like somebody that's 30 years old. That's what you should have told them. She says, I can't think that fast. I said, it's not something you need to think about. She's 85 years old, and she has slowed down in her thought processes. But I said, it's not something you need to think about. If they call you back, don't even wait till they give you the three choices. Just tell them, let me tell you what I think about it. It's a sin. It's a, it, it, and if they call you about homosexuality, you tell them it's an abomination before God. This is a day when we as Christians need to stand for our Savior. This is a day when we as Christians need to stand for His book. This is a day when we as Christians need to let the world know what God says. Doesn't matter if it's politically correct. That's not a requirement. It's not a requirement to be a Christian to be politically correct. In fact, it's probably a requirement to be politically incorrect in the day that we live in. We need, to, we, we need to identify with him before others. Because he's not ashamed to call us brethren. i got to quit, but you listen to me. If you're here today and you've never received Jesus Christ as your Savior, on this piece of paper, your name is still over here. All these sins that are listed on this side of the paper are all sins that are still on your account. And all these sins, one day, if you don't get them taken care of, will take you straight to hell. You say, preacher, you ought not to say that. I'm just telling you what the Bible says. I'm not making up. This is what the Bible says. The wages of sin is death. Separation from God forever and ever in that place called hell. Look, there's nothing you can do to get those sins off your record. They're there. They're there. But praise God. Jesus did already what's needed to get him off your record and onto his. And to get his righteousness ascribed to your record. He did it on Calvary. And he said, whosoever shall call upon my name shall be 
saved. Would you do that this morning? I'm not asking you to become a Baptist. I think being a Baptist is a good thing. I'm not asking you to join this church. I think joining this church is a good thing. I'm asking you to become part of the family of God. I'm asking you to receive the gift of salvation that Jesus purchased for you, for you on Calvary's cross. You do that by simply going to him, say, Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I believe that you died on Calvary to pay for my sins. And right now I'm trusting you and you alone, you, only you, to take care of my sins and make me right with God. And the Bible says if we come to him, he will in no wise cast us out. If you're here this morning, you've never done that. Would you do it? Would you do it right now? We're going to, just a second, we're going to stand. We're going to sing an invitation song. I invite you to come to the Savior. I invite you to come to the one who's up in heaven this morning. If you receive him, he'll look down and he'll say, that's my brother. That's my kid brother. That's my little, I'm not ashamed. He's not ashamed to call us brethren. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the truth that's in it. Thank you for the encouragement that it gives us. Thank you for the salvation that it offers to every person. Thank you for the many people here already taken you up on your offer. They've already received Christ. They've already prayed and asked Jesus to be their Savior. I pray, Father, you would draw us closer to him this morning because we've heard once again what it cost, the price that was paid so that we could be made one with you. And so I thank you for each one here that's already made that decision. But, Father, I pray for those that are here that have never made the decision. They're they're, they're still in their sin. They're still under the condemnation of their sin. They're still under the punishment of their sin. And, And, Father, their only hope, help them to understand, their only hope, the only hope that they have is to come to Christ, is to come to the one that paid for their sins. Would you help them do that this morning? Would you help them put aside everything that's keeping them from Jesus? And would you help them come to Jesus this morning? I just pray, Holy Spirit, that you would speak to them, that you would woo them to the Savior, that you would overcome every objection that they have. And this morning, with simple, childlike faith, they would come and receive Jesus as their Savior. Just bless this time of invitation. We give it to you, ask you to work. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.